Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, expert in education, child development, and a lifelong learner and teacher. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive self-regulation program that integrates social-emotional learning, school culture, and discipline. So what are real teachers? Real teachers are real people who have life both inside and outside the classroom. Sometimes a lot of us forget that. Real teachers live, like all of us, in a sea of relationships. Some of those relationships are uplifting, and some seem to drain the life force right out of us. Real teachers may have difficult people in their home lives. Some could be relatives. Yes, that could be true. Some are friends, and some might be struggling with their own significant others. Many days they wake up feeling blessed to be alive, and some days they can't be bothered. And yet, real teachers show up at school and give their heart and soul to others each and every day. Real Talk for Real Teachers is a growing community of loving professionals who seek to love themselves as much as they love others. So today, we're talking about a very interesting topic. We're talking about working with the most difficult. Now, this is the most difficult coworkers, the most difficult parents, and the most difficult children. So life is just a giant web of relationships. Human beings are social creatures. Our brain is a social organ and develops through relationships. Now, I hope everybody heard that. Let me say it again. Our brain develops through relationships. The quality of our relationships shapes the function of our brain. Each of us are deeply entangled in countless relationships throughout life. And it's certainly natural to gravitate towards those relationships that bring us the most happiness and growth and fulfillment. However, despite our best efforts, we sometimes find ourselves dealing with challenging relationships and difficult people. And navigating these interactions is, mm, let's just call it, we can call it a blessing. Okay, let's not. It's a mess. But it often results in stress, tension, and anxiety that negatively impacts our mood and ability to do our job. And it exposes ourselves and everyone around us to an unpleasant emotional toxicity. I hear teachers tell me all the time, you know, I can deal with the children. It's just the parents or my coworkers that are killing me. Since the brain develops and is organized based on the quality of our relationships, conscious discipline is designed to give us the mindset and skill set to improve all of our relationships, especially those we find difficult. One thing to hold in mind, and it's hard for me at times, is that when dealing with difficult people, whether they're children or adults, they are always, and I mean always, doing the best they can from their own level of consciousness. Now, in conscious discipline, we divide consciousness into three basic states, survival, emotional, an executive. In the survival state, all sensory input is perceived as a threat. No matter what you say or do, it is perceived as a personal attack to the other person. So if the person's in the survival state and you're talking, they're going to perceive it as a personal attack. Relationships in the survival state consist of attack, defend, attack, defend cycles of communication. And we've all been there. In the emotional state, sensory input is perceived as unfair, irritating, 
or judgmental. No matter what you say or do, it is perceived as not good enough or condemning in some way. We've all been there too. So relationships in the emotional state consist of making wild, inaccurate judgments of others and ourselves and sharing it with others as much as possible, a.k.a. gossiping. In the executive state, we have a choice of how we hear, see, and feel about an interaction. We can override impulses and insecurities enough to hear a different point of view, see things in a different light. Our relationships can consist of the possibility of accepting and negotiating differences. This is just how the brain works. It works like that in any culture and any language. Taking another person's internal state, perception, and reactions personally is, and I'm learning this over and over again, not our wisest course of action, nor is making judgments as to the behavior of others as being good or bad helpful. They simply are reacting to input received from their pre-programmed conditioning from childhood. So here's what it's like. It's like looking under the hood of your car and yelling at the dead battery saying, why are you doing this to me? And what have I done to deserve this? And why do you hate me so much? And why are you acting disrespectfully? Just turn on. Sounds silly, but we do it many times throughout the day. We have a Q-tip strategy in conscious discipline that stands for quit taking it personally. It requires practice, but it's powerful. So today I've invited Allie Oliver to talk with us about how she's dealt with difficult adults, children, and parents from a principal's perspective. Now, Allie's been a principal for 10 years. She was named the LULAC Principal of the Year and has transformed two schools using conscious discipline into star schools. She now serves as the Director of Professional Development for Conscious Discipline, helping others achieve the same phenomenal results in school climate and academics she and her teams achieved repeatedly in the past. All right, Allie, welcome to Real Talk with Real Teachers. Hi, Becky. I'm glad to be here. Okay, so you got all the gist of the first part. So have you, and I'm sure you have as a principal, dealt with difficult parents? Um. It's funny when I was thinking about this topic, difficult parents, difficult teachers, difficult kids, actually, it's all the same thing. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a parent, a child, or a teacher. Um, I think that the difficulty just looks a little different, but it's um, it comes the same way. Um, of course, I've dealt with, with this um, over the last 10 years. So let's take some of your more difficult cases, and I want you to kind of tell us the story and what stepped you through. How did they come out, ones that came out successful and one that kind of blew up in your face? How did it work for you? How did you do this? How do you interact with these parents and teachers every day with their complaining, their frustrations, their, I hate to say it, whining? Um, well, actually, I think that um, the more I grew in conscious discipline, the better I got. Um, as you know, it's you're constantly working on it daily because it's our second language. I think that um, when I look back, when someone came to me um, to complain or with an issue, the biggest thing I did was I took it personally. I felt like, you know, I had to solve their problem or I wasn't doing my job. 
Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but uh, totally. No, I get it. Working. Yeah. Working through conscious discipline. I realize, you know, when someone comes to me or if someone comes to me upset or a child, an adult comes to me with a problem, um, they're coming. They want to be heard. So first thing I need to do is tell myself, you know, this is not about me. It's not about something I did. And um, I have to listen to them. And I think what's helped me the most is to sit back and try to listen to what they have to say from their point of view. When they're coming to me, um, telling me their story or complaining, whatever it is, is how is it I, you know, I have to look at it from their, their perspective and I can't take it personally. I just am amazed that how often do you pull that off? Seriously now. Okay. Um, in the beginning, it was harder as the more I practice it. Um, I have this little ritual. Um, when I hear something, this is as from teachers, um, you, you know, there are some, you have your triggers and basically knowing what your triggers are. One of mine is whining and complaining. There's, um, I have some people in mind, I'm not going to mention their names, but I can hear them coming. And as I hear that, I literally tell myself, okay, Allie, you've got this. Take a deep breath. Remember, this is not about you. Listen to what they have to say, because they're coming to me for a reason. Whether I think it's whining or complaining, they have an issue. So, um, at that point, um, more times, you know, and it, it, it depends on how I am. If I've had a really rotten day, I'm probably not going to be quite as good at it as if I've um, taken some deep breaths and I'm ready for them. Yeah, so that makes sense. So you hear the little click, 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 click of their feet coming down the hall and you're already preparing yourself, just like we prepare ourselves to interact with a child who's very upset. So this this constant preparation of ourselves to interact in a more a calm and effective way. Now, what happens if you just get a surprise attack? Like, oh, you know, here comes a guy and he's got his hands in his pants playing with himself. And I know you get all kinds of stuff at your school. You- <laughs> um, so really and truly, um, when I get surprised before I have conditioned myself to really take a deep breath, I know when I'm holding my breath so I can feel that in my body. So the first thing I do is take a deep breath and try not to react. Um, so if I can keep my mouth shut long enough to look around the situation and then handle it from there, um, it's what I've learned over time is it's best to let the person vent or say what they have to say. Um, while they're doing that, I'm breathing. I'm not trying to create a story in my head. And when they're finished, you know, it's having some empathy for them. Um, you know, I... I understand this is how you're feeling. So I try to reframe it when they think the world is against them is, you know, you, I can tell by your body language, you seem really frustrated. Um, And then it's that, it's amazing how you can just see them look at you like you get me, you understand what, what I'm talking about. Um, I think that that really helps. Um, I think back long ago, I had a parent, um, a young parent who her child was extremely disruptive. He had a lot of behavioral issues. And in the past, she was constantly called, you know, come up to the school, come up to the school. So when I had this child, um, you know, I called her and she's like, what, what now? And, you know, I said, you know, I would just, I'd like to just talk to you about some of the things you're experiencing. And 
when we had, when it was, became more of a conversation um, of her just telling me, you know, what's going on, tell me some things that, that you see with your child, um, it kind of just calmed things down. We were able to work through it. And, you know, what it was, was she was young, she had no structure in her life. Obviously, he had no structure. So we worked together and created a plan. And interestingly enough, this was probably, I, I can't even begin to tell you the chaos that this child had in his life. And after, you know, conscious discipline isn't something that changes your life immediately. It's practice. So I would say probably six to eight months later, um, she came up to me in the hallway. And this is the mom. And she said, you know, Miss Oliver, I just want you to know just putting some structure, she said, putting the picture routines up in my house has changed our lives. And, you know, that's simple as teaching routines. So I think that knowing that, you know, when parents come to you or when teachers come to you, they're coming to you with what they have, you know. Yes. And and if, if they come to you, again, it's important to remember, if they come to you in an emotional state, they're going to blame you. And if they come to you in a survival state, they're truly going to attack you. So does knowing that help you, knowing that that's just how the brain works and, it, and that's the way they're coming? And, and that's not what they're meaning. That's not the real reason they're there. That's what I'm hearing you say, that I can hear past that attack, past that blame, and try to hear what's really going on. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And I would say nine times out of 10, when a parent is walking into your office or a teacher's walking into your office with a concern, they are either in their survival state or their emotional state. Rarely have I had someone come in and say, uh, Miss Oliver, let's sit down and problem solve this. Uh, so knowing that ahead of time and how to listen to them and um, take that conversation to that next level makes all the difference in the world. Now, you have you have a, a time where you actually reacted unconsciously that you can share with us? And uh, did you catch it or did you catch it the next day or did it go on for the whole year? Because with, with me, um, I tend to fall into my emotional state. So I know that about myself, but it's it's usually through. And I want to say probably through email conversations, I get all wrapped up in in the conversation. And I feel like there's nothing I can do for this person. You know, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. So then when I respond, you know, it's try not to hit that send button, but I have hit it before. And then I just want to go back and say, oh, why did I hit send? Because it's not about me. So, so let's shift now, Allie, to the children. So, uh, and you've been doing conscious discipline and, and part of conscious discipline is, is the beauty of it is it trickles down and it shares amongst each other. So what have you seen with uh, your most difficult kids or how has it helped them or how are you approaching them in a way that they can be successful? Oh, this is what's so amazing. I believe the children pick it up so much easier than um, we as adults do. It becomes their first language. One of the stories that always come to mind is, and I'm going to use the name Michael um, as the child's name. Um, I heard this screaming and yelling um, in the hallway. You know, as an administrator, I ran down the hall into the classroom. And when I walked in, 
the kids were um, all kind of standing around the room and there was a little girl and standing kind of by the doorway. And when I walked in, she grabs my pant leg. And before I could say anything, she looked at me and these are the words that just so stick in my mind is she, she said to me, she said, Michael is having a really hard day. She said, so breathe. And I looked at her because I was really surprised that she said, breathe. And I said, oh, so I started breathing and um, I looked in the center and Michael had thrown these math little foam tabs all over the floor. There were hundreds of them and he was kicking and screaming about then he jumped up and he starts yelling at the top of his lungs, don't breathe, don't breathe. And she looks at me with big eyes and she says, it's working. Keep breathing. He's shifted. And so I, that told me right there that just listening to her teacher, watching her teacher, watching us as adults in the building, she knew exactly the different brain states. And she was six years old. I love that. I love that story. So he'd gone from the survival up to the emotional and was using his mouth. I love it. Don't stop now. We're almost there. We're you almost know, there. And then the kids brilliant. all came in. You know, the kids came in and one of them steps up and says, you're frustrated. I can tell. How can we help you? And, you know, his his idea of solving the problem may not have been one um, that we would have used. He said, you know, I'll hold this bucket if y'all put all the counters in the bucket. And, you know, the kids are six. They all said, yeah, we can do it. And in a few minutes, everything was picked up. He walked back to the circle group. He sat down and the other kids walked by him, patted him on the back and said, you've got this, Michael. You've got this. Wow. Wow. So... I guess the moral of this story is if we can do it, if we as adults can calm ourselves down enough to solve our problems in a gracious way with one another, open our heart enough to see from someone else's point of view, listen enough, and as you say, shut up enough, then it will automatically just trickle down and we will all help one another be successful one day. And I think uh, Michael and his class showed us a, a great lesson for all of us. So often, Ali, I hear teachers say, you know, I can do conscious discipline with children. I just can't do it with adults. And what I'm hearing you say is that your successes come from doing conscious discipline with adults. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Okay. So, and let me ask you one more thing then. Do, do Have you ever had the police in there? Has anyone ever been hauled out of your school, uh, an adult? Um, well, actually, yes. Several times we've had the police come. We've had people escorted out of the building, yes. And so how did you handle that situation with yourself and with those, like, in the office that are watching you do this? Uh, I think that with being aware of my inner speech is the and trying to remain calm. So, I mean, the biggest thing for me is taking deep breaths, regulating myself and being calm in situations. The more I get excited, and when I get excited, I start talking, uh, and I try to explain so that I can, I can now feel myself doing that. So that's when I look around and I can see just people start tensing up when I get excited. So if I can just take some deep breaths at that moment, I can physically see others start taking deep breaths and calming down too. So you've been able to 
over the time of your practice with conscious discipline, you've learned to notice your own inner states. You've learned to notice even how they manifest in anxiety, like kind of rapid talking and talking and talking. And you've been able to notice the impact of that on those around you. That's quite a journey. Absolutely. And so as a leader implementing conscious discipline, what's helped the most is actually we started implementing it with our adults first. So the behaviors that I was expecting and wanting to see out of the adults in the building or actually from the kids in the building, we all needed to practice together. And the best way to do that is to model it. So if as an adult, I'm modeling that behavior uh, when we're rolling out um, the different structures, when we're practicing the skill of composure, we do it with the adults in the building. We uh, model it. We show how it's done. Um, Then you see it just actually just moving throughout the building and the kids start doing it too. So it's a trickle down. So what would you do? Let's say you have two teachers fighting. I'm sure you've come up with that or a clump or click forming or some being left out. So how would you how do you go about that? Let's say that uh, two teachers are very intensely mad at each other and they both come to you complaining about the other. What would you do in that situation? So in I've not ever had to walk in and find two verbally fighting with each other. Usually it's the one coming to me to complain about this one and the other one coming back to complain. And so in this situation, first I listen. I listen to both of them separately. And then I tell them, you know, this is something that both of you have to work out together. So I offer that, you know, uh, we reframe it. We look at the situation and often enough, it's better if I'm in the conversation with them, not as someone to say anything, just someone to be there in case it gets out of hand. But I think bringing them together to look at each other and it's almost, um, you know, in conscious discipline, we have the, uh, conflict resolution mat. Well, it's conflict resolution without the mat. So we have an agreement. They have to come in. They both have to sit down and everyone makes agreements um, during this meeting that, you know, we're going to let each person talk and be heard. And then we're going to ask clarifying questions. So this is a practice that we kind of do to help them both be able to say what they need to say. So in essence, you're using, you know, like the time machine or like you said, the conflict resolution mat. So you're taking the same process, like you said at the beginning, that you said pretty profoundly from the get-go. I do the same with the teachers, uh, the parents, and the children. And I can see that process, just like we asked two children to come together to solve their problem. We're there to coach them. We're there to mentor them. We're there to provide some level of of boundaries and safety, but we bring those two kids to solve their problems. So you're doing the exact same thing with the adults. Now, did you ever question this? Did you ever think, oh, I know we need to start with the adults, but that language sounds funny to me, or I couldn't say that to an adult, or oh, heavens, can't we just talk about each other in the bathroom or something? Can't we just keep it simple here? Um, What I found actually bringing everyone together to talk about it really nips the gossip. So it's not just teaching. It teaches others. If someone comes to you and says, did you hear about so-and-so? That person has to be able to say, you know, you, you sound like you're frustrated. Have you gone to talk to them? So by me modeling 
how to do this without sharing gossip, bringing the two people together, helps others to say, you know what, we've got to stop the gossip somewhere. So are you going to be the person to keep the gossip going or are you going to be the person to stay? Sounds like you're frustrated. You should go talk to that person. Would you like me to go with you? So by me doing that, the teachers start doing that too. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. And, 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 you know, we've always said, and certainly you're the leader of this in our professional development program, telling each school, you start with the adults first. You start with the adults first. And, I, and I'm thinking that as I'm hearing you talk, it's making a deeper sense to me what you mean with starting with the adults first. So we start with our own upset. Then we start with facilitating uh, and coaching the upset of other adults. And as we interact with each other in a different manner, the kids are just watching and learning. Right. And just like you can tell a conscious discipline school versus and a conscious discipline classroom versus those are that are not. Because just like the classroom, the school building is my classroom. And, you know, you have difficult teachers just as you have difficult kids. But if you perceive that person as difficult, if you're saying he's a, oh, he's going to complain, oh, he's always gossiping, oh, he's this, then everyone else is going to feel that too. So I look at all the teachers in my building as, you know, they're on their journey. So they're practicing their skills. They're learning also, not as someone that's trying to be difficult, because we want to look at them as, oh, they need some help with their skills, not as, right, right. and just like the kids. Um, it translates the same way as, you know, when you walk into a classroom and somebody goes, oh, Michael did this, oh, Michael did that, Michael's bad. Well, it could be the same way with adults, too, if you as the leader or the administrative team is not um, looking at teaching skills and helping and coaching teachers as, you know, as them being just difficult. Right. So what you're saying is that you as the leader, and this would also be all the administrative team, and I'm assuming a a CDAT team, the CDAT team's job is just like the teacher in the classroom. If you have challenging moments or what's historically perceived as difficult people, we're going to see them as calling for help and missing the skill. So we're going to put on our curiosity hat, just like we do with kids, and try to figure out what skill they're missing, what help they need. And of course, none of this works unless you have that connected sense of a faculty family, because otherwise they're just going to go get a life, you know, I don't need help. So you must have started at some point connecting all the people first, and then you could use these tools within that faculty family. Is that correct? Absolutely. And this really really uh, came to light when I moved into a new building. I'd been at my old building for a long time and the staff had been the same. So moving into a new building, we had, uh, when I walked in, I realized some of the pre-kindergarten teachers didn't even know the teachers on the second floor. And, um, And that was interesting to me. So getting everyone together so that you can see things, you know, it's always the you know, you blame the other the other grade for the kids not knowing, oh, they didn't learn that in first grade. They should learn that first grade. Oh, and fifth grade teachers thinking pre-K teachers don't know what they're doing. So it's almost like bringing everyone together. So I made it, um, we created a lot of uh, school jobs and committees where 
pre-K teachers were mixed with fifth grade teachers so that they get to know each other on a personal level, just not on, you know, the school level. Excellent. So now let's go through for, for all those listening, these steps for tomorrow. So, so what would you say, first off, steps for tomorrow? I'm talking to administrators out there. I'm talking to teachers, actually. And you're talking to CDAT teams, which are the conscious discipline action teams at many schools who are charged with this coaching, mentoring, leadership role. So what are the steps for tomorrow? We've got challenging behaviors, not just with kids. We've got challenging behaviors with parents. We've got challenging behaviors with teachers. So we've got to model this top down, go. So I think the the first thing that you need to do is create a way for connection in your building. Because when everyone is connected, when they feel like they're part of the school, Um, building these relationships, everyone is more likely to get along. They're more likely to listen to each other when they all have ownership and have a relationship. So the first thing I'd say is find ways to create these brain smart starts, uh, create uh, community and relationships in your building. Got it. Okay. That's number one, kind of a shared power building of relationships. Okay. Next. The next thing is to prepare yourself. So learn about yourself. Uh, Know what your triggers are. Uh, When you get upset, what is it that you tend to do? Do you tend to lash out? Um, Are you emotional? Uh, You'll see that if you start really reflecting, um, it's the same pattern that comes up. So know what your triggers are and prepare yourself. When you hear that, those steps down the hall, you get that phone call, take some deep breaths and be ready to handle whatever situation is coming your way. And I think the third thing, too, is see from the other person's point of view. It's not about you. And know that the person that's coming to you, whether they're complaining, whether they're upset, uh, they're, they're coming for a reason. So if you can take the it's all about me out of it, and just listen to them and look at it from their point of view, it gives you a whole different perspective. It certainly does. And I think those are excellent steps one, two, and three. And I'm just going to add to that which uh, and build on it is seeing, being able to see from someone else's point of view means we need to take a defenseless stance. We have to say, you know, I don't have to be right in this situation. I just have to listen. And whatever they're saying, I don't have to agree with. I don't have to defend against. It's just them sharing old, old strategies from when they were little of how to get their needs met. You know, I remember, you know, you look at my grandchildren and, you know, each one of them has a different little strategy set to get what they want. And, you know, and if you don't learn upgrade that strategy set, you can still use it even if you're 60 or 65 or 48, you go into the principal and you start the whining act or the complaining act or... It's the same act we've been doing since we were three and four. And that's what happens when we get into those lower centers of our brain. And the last one I want to add for those listening is let's use this to evolve ourselves. Let's take those people that surround us and the behaviors we're seeing out there and say, hmm, you know, I'm seeing a kind of a challenging person at work. I have a challenging person at home. I went to the grocery store and there's another And it's like they're everywhere. So 
an evolutionary perspective says that my outer world, the one I'm seeing out there, reflects my inner world. And if we can see those out there that are a little bit irritating or frustrating or difficult for us on the outside, it could be a conflict that we're carrying on the inside. So the last thing I want to leave everyone with is possibly the outer world is reflecting your inner world. And as we, just like we can't really see ourselves in a mirror, this is showing us what's on the inside. And then we go in, reflect like Allie said, find out some of the struggles within, and realize just how precious we are. And once we remember that we're valuable and lovable and whole and complete, the world on the outside starts to change too. So I want to thank you, Allie, so much for being with us for Real Talk for Real Teachers and all those steps that are going to help so many people and for all you do here at Conscious Discipline. And thank you for joining our team and all you've done for kids. Thank you, Allie. Thank you, Becky. Okay, and for all those listening, until next time. I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.